action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs, a trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and creative director of Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. I don't remember this from the film. <laughs> it's got a very 70s feel to it, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Just like incidental Ken Loach movie. When was this in the film? Um, I don't remember, but I love it. It's so lovely. <laughs> oh God, I can't so... say the sound of children singing. <laughs> makes me think of, what was that That God show on Sundays? Sound of Music. Sound, sound of music. music. What's the Sound of Music? That's a film. Songs of Praise. Songs of Praise. <laughs> <laughs> it should be Sound of Music every Sunday. <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom, it's... 1965, and on the New England island of New Penzance, disclaimer, it's not a real place, 12-year-old Sam, played by Jared Gilman, has gone missing, prompting an island-wide search by a series of wacky characters, including Police Captain Sharp, played by Bruce Willis. Unbeknownst to them, he's taken off with fellow 12-year-old Susie, played by Cara Haywood, and we kind of go on a little journey with them, I suppose you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Were you a fan of Wes Anderson before this? This is this is maybe the first Wes Anderson film that I completely fell in love with first time around. And you watched it, what, in the cinema? When it yeah, first came yeah. Out? I think I went to a screening of it. Um, it's just... So I've seen... I haven't seen all of his films, for shame. So I haven't seen The Royal Tenenbaums, I'm sorry. Um, I have seen Grand Budapest Hotel and obviously Fantastic Mr. Fox um and various others but I, i'm not like a wes anderson groupie slash completist or anything and this is like his seventh film so i've got some catching up to do but and he's made more since this so it, it yes. doesn't just stop at seven yeah, yeah yeah sorry yeah this is his seventh film but there are more um i don't know i just there was something really lovely about it that was just kind of gentle but with this kind of sharp humor occasionally sharp humor um, I think it just felt like everything that was Wes Anderson kind of coalesced beautifully. Mm. Like his style and his his kind of the way he gets actors to deliver their lines um, and the music and the idea like he he's he loves kind of his his films often revolve around like someone going missing and he loves kind of weirdos and and outsiders and that kind of stuff. Um, so f- like for me, this film just kind of did what he does well perfectly. Yeah. What did, what did you think about it? Well, I've never really been much of a Wes Anderson fan. I've never really connected with his films. So I've seen The Royal Tenenbaums. I think that was the first one I saw. I don't think I saw it when it came out in the cinema. I must have seen it either on TV or or rented it from Blockbuster that long ago. Whoa. That long ago. Um, so I never really got it. Maybe I was too young to really appreciate what he does because he has these everything's with deadpan irony mm-hmm. and you know even if a character says they love another character it's with this real deadpan irony that you think well if this scene was cut and put into another film it could be played completely different by changing nothing yeah that just reminded me of that there's a great moment when he's like 
I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What were they talking about in that that section? She's saying something like you... uh, Something about parents, something about... Because I know what you mean. They're on the cliffside. Yeah, they're having like this, this moment where they've they've obviously they feel like they found each other, and then she yeah. says something that he really doesn't agree with. I, some, it is something about parenthood and the family home or something like that. But everyone's everyone's very self in all of these films. Everyone is very self aware, and mm. kids are more aware than they should be. It's almost yeah. like they're being puppeteered by their future selves. Yeah. Um, Darjeeling Limited has. That in fact, Darjeeling Limited, I really liked my certain DVD and I haven't watched it since. But of all these films, that's the one that I felt, oh, hmm. I connect with that a lot. Hmm. Fantastic Mr. Fox is a kids' film for adults. I couldn't imagine a kid watching that. And that tails <laughs> off towards the end. It does get a bit, it, it grates Fantastic Mr. Fox. It grates a lot. And that makes me worry for Isle of Dogs because it's the same style and it's that's coming out soon. Yeah, yeah. Grand Budapest Hotel. I remember liking it in the cinema, but I don't have any like motivation to rewatch it. Mm. But his films, they he has, and you know how much I like in a, in a tour with their own personal style. He has, a, it's almost like a, a pop-up book style. The, the, the camera isn't moving; it's turning a page, even though it's panning. But it's great. The he'll have a, a single, a single point focus. You know, it, everything is symmetrical. Then the camera will pan ninety degrees to the right or the left, or one hundred and eighty degrees the other way, and settle again on another beautiful, s- fully symmetrical image. It's, yeah, it's such a gorgeous way of doing it. It really appeals to my kind and, of, you know. OCD perfectionist kind of nature yeah. but it it, it it means everything in in the world that Wes Anderson has created has this complete order except the people that inhabit it because they are just full of so much chaos <laughs> so in this this amazing world you have all these people and I'm, I'm just I'm constantly moving like his camera here it's hypnotic <laughs> but everyone it's it's the characters are always so chaotic and they're always so unhappy so Frances McD- I, know, I never know how to say her surname what is it Frances McDermott McDormand McDormand it? Frances McDormand hmm. is having an affair with Bruce Willis and she's married to Bill Murray mm-hmm. and she's clearly being neglected by him because she's nipping out on the bicycle to go and have a you know have her way with Bruce Willis and her daughter is the kid that Susie that, Susie the kid that Ben is it Ben Who's, Sam Sam that no. Sam falls in love with so she's looking through binoculars and we don't know why until later it's it's really nice how everything sort of everything weaves together there's a great shot when when Frances McDormand leaves the house and the kids run out from underneath the basement or something and it's like everyone's running away from something in that one shot it's brilliant so well done and Bill Murray's lying there by the tree is that the shot (laughs) yeah like pissed out of his mind yeah um yeah it's 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 nice that you know all these these things weave together and at one point i thought the film was just literally gonna be they're on the run everyone's chasing them i thought it was going to be turned into a caper movie but that Mm. was done with very quickly he yeah he often wes anderson often kind of injects a bit of a caper in there as well He, he like has this list of ingredients that include like caper esque moments um you know, divorced parents or something and like runaway kids or whatever. And he, he always has, seems to hit those things. 
like um, you just hit the microphone. like i just hit the microphone beautifully <laughs> perfectly timed um and but he but he doesn't it doesn't feel cynical which is what the lovely thing about him i think no it doesn't feel cynical but everything feels detached yeah which it's a different reality to ours yeah but it's hard to identify and it's hard to it's hard to fully love his work Mm. because there's such an emotional detachment there's no warmth in those films and there's Mm. one scene in this film when the kids have run away and then they've been you know captured i guess and brought back and francis is bathing her 13 year old daughter in the bath oh yeah and the kid's like i'm paraphrasing it's like i know about bruce willis yeah and francis mcdermott um or mcdormand francis she says something but it's it's said with such warmth and empathy that it feels completely out of place in a wes anderson film Mm. um well because that's that's a natural moment in a in a performative piece isn't it everything's very performative everyone's like the, the thing that is I find most interesting about Wes Anderson films is that everyone's kind of wearing a uniform. Like every, even if they're just wearing a dress, everyone's basically got kind of like their own uniform that they wear. Like they're, yeah. they're playing a role. Um, so well, that's like, just great characterization. Yeah, isn't it's it? really, it's just brilliant. It tells, you, tells you why, so much without yeah, saying anything. But there's a reason why they're wearing that, yeah. that thing because it ties into their, their character. But that scene with, with the bath is the closest in the Wes Anderson mm. to emotion like Mm. genuine emotion everything else is completely removed which is fine because then you end up with something like submarine Mm. um the richard i whatever his name is yeah um and the double which was his second Mm. film that weird detachment which is is fine because it is enjoyable to watch up until a point but Mm. i've never watched a wes anderson film and thought that was just the right length. It always, always, always grates after the first hour. Mm. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I feel like I need it to end or I have to watch it in two halves. Like, I think the first time I watched this, I didn't feel that at all. I felt... When I, yeah, when I first watched it, I, I was completely spellbound by it. Kind of the way everyone spoke, it, it was like a, it was like, a, like a lullaby or like a bedtime story. Like, yeah. everyone just... Everyone talks a little bit like this and... There's not really much emotion in it. And it's like really kind of just like calming and just like really quiet like and peaceful. Needs to sleep. And yeah, it does. And I, I completely fell under its spell. Um, this time, watching it a second time, I kind of, I did feel a bit like I wanted it to pick up the pace a little bit. But every time it starts to slow a bit and you start to think, you know, oh, come on. Then it injects something else like Tilda Swinton as social services. Oh my God. She's like, talk to social services, <laughs> referring to herself. Yeah. The cast was amazing. Yeah, it's a great cast. So let's see, we've got Edward Norton, who when he's on fine form, he is phenomenal. He's so funny He doesn't do enough. Yeah. Bill Murray, he's Bill Murray. He, yeah. could, he could just be sitting there reading the telephone book or the Chinese takeaway. He mm. is brilliant. Uh, Francis McDormand, Tilda Swinton. Oscar winner. Oscar winner, yes. Yeah. Inclusion rider. <laughs> Tilda Swinton, who is i mean she plays bitch like no one plays bitch cold but like fragile bitch as well like you kind of feel like there's something going on there that's more than just being a bitch but her characters never fall apart i've never seen her fall apart no you know that that happens kind of behind the scenes yeah no one's looking 
Harvey Keitel, who yes. is hilarious in this yeah. film. And he's never hilarious. He's an asshole <laughs> in real life. When you see him in interviews, he's just an asshole, miserable bastard yeah. in most of his films. And yet here he was brilliant. He was thawed by Wes. Bob Balaban, who I'm not actually that aware of. Is he the narrator? Yeah. He was, he's fucking funny. He's, yeah, he's brilliant, but I'm not so really... Great. I recognise his face, but I haven't seen... Maybe he's more of an American yeah. guy. I really recognise you know, him, have much I have no a, idea why. doesn't have much of a profile over here. Jason Schwartzman, who mm-hmm. is always good in everything he does. Um, but are, they, are any of the Owens in it? No, I don't think they it's are. The Maybe that's the film. first time. Yeah, the first one that he didn't have any of the Owens in. Um, and the late Bruce Willis is also in this film. The late Bruce Willis. <laughs> Let's be honest, that guy is dead. Career, well, his career is dead. Like, when he wants to be on fine form, he is brilliant. Yeah. He, there was... Like when he was crawling up on the roof at the end of this film in the rain, yeah, I I was reminded completely of Death Becomes Her. Oh yeah, of course, I love that film, and that's one of his greatest yeah, performances. Yeah, it's really tragic. That is a yes, yeah, but it's a character piece. Yeah, he's not Bruce Willis in that film. Yeah, he is um, that dude. Whatever is it, Franklin Ernie, or Ernst, something? Ernst, oh yeah, and something like that. But he is he is a character in that film. Bruce Willis steps away, and the character steps forward. He almost does it in this film he did it in unbreakable as well i haven't seen unbreakable what i said i haven't seen unbreakable okay we need to watch unbreakable and do it on the podcast oh, but it's like Ding Dong. no but that's his best film oh really yeah oh, okay. i mean well okay after six cents obviously disclaimer yeah. Yeah. um what last airbender is not his best film i haven't seen that one what <laughs> <laughs> i said i haven't seen that one um but he 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 in this film he he portrays this this police officer and you think because it's bruce willis he's going to be the action hero and you think he's going to be the hard as nails guy he doesn't he actually turns out to be a really warm as warm as you can get in the wes anderson film um empathetic as empathetic as you can get in a wes anderson film character who takes this kid in and becomes his surrogate father yeah it's lovely. And like he wears the, um, the cop outfit when he's his son, doesn't he, at the end? Yeah. It's so sweet. Yeah, he's great in this. He's, he's really great. And like the kids are great as well. I don't know who they are. but um, Oh, one of them I had to look up because I thought, this fucker looks familiar. Oh, was it the kid from Three Lady Billboards? Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, he might be. He might be the same guy we're thinking about. But it's the guy from Lady Bird who plays the... You've seen Lady Bird? Not yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. He plays a role in Lady Bird that I will not reveal. But which kid are you talking about in Three Billboards? I'm talking about Lucas Hedges. I think he's... Yeah, he's in... He's like the mean... Yeah, he's in Lady Bird kid. as well. That's the one yeah. I looked up. And he's in Manchester by the Sea as well. Not seen that. Which is great. Watch it, it's on Amazon. Is it funny? I've heard it's a comedy, but it's... then the trailer made it look like I wanted to kill myself and yeah. my family. Uh, well, it's dark, dark, dark humour. It's kind of... It's not three billboards, but it, it's kind of three billboards with actually an emotional engagement to it and like an actual story. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you can look forward to our three Damning billboards. Damning with faint, <laughs> faint condemnation. Yeah. When I think of individual bits to this film, I love it. Like the books. I love the books. Yeah. Like his production design is brilliant. Yeah. I don't know if he has a production design, but I know he hand makes a lot of stuff for his movies right he so got, yeah he got i didn't the book check whether he was production designer but the books the the, the books, which have which have names like disappearance of the sixth grade and the record players and the yeah. fact that this takes place in an analog world yeah 
Well, it's the 60s. Yeah, but I feel a lot of his films, even if they are meant to be modern day, they will have an analogue environment. Mm. I don't think... I mean, I can't remember anyone using like a cell phone in a Wes Anderson film. Or a he, mobile phone. A mobile phone. He, he clearly has a, an, an amazing affinity for the analogue environment. And I mm. think I do too. I, I much prefer there to be timeless quality to, to things, to films, to my photographs. I don't particularly mm. like modern stuff. I never have like cars in the background of my photos because that immediately dates it. Yeah. But if you know, if you can get a timeless quality, then everything becomes timeless as it is. <laughs> it's called timeless for a reason. <laughs> but his films seem to have that, and I, I really yeah. identify and I really like engage with that side of things. He's he's basically kind of like hipster chic, isn't he? Like yeah, they've got this real hipster quality. I think, like even before hipster was really a thing I, I think like they, they just had this you can see why hipsters would love Wes Anderson because they have that well he's like their uber king tailored tailored but shabby kind of look to them and yeah that that kind of nostalgia I guess but it's nostalgia without being wink wink nudge nudge yeah. we know what we're doing it's not yeah. weirdly it's not cynical nostalgia no considering that all his characters are cynics yeah it's weird that he's really positive about his nostalgia it's not you know thor ragnarok or ready player one Mm. it's not the new star wars films which are so much based on what came before as opposed to the prequels which try to move it in a new shiny direction in a completely mm. unironic way on well, yeah, awful but at least he tried to do something that wasn't based on what he did 20 years before mm. so it's it's almost refreshing in 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 a, in a film environment now that everything is so much based on nostalgia it's like the biggest commodity that he makes films that treat nostalgia in a completely different way yeah why is it called moonrise kingdom yeah, I didn't know that either because <laughs> they wrote it in the they wrote it at the end on the sand. So has she written a book, her own book? Maybe is that why it's got kind of that fairy tale bedtime story quality that she's decided to write her own book, and it's called Moonrise Kingdom. Was she narrating it? Was anyone narrating it? Yeah, was that, there in the that, oh, he was narrating Bobby it. Bobby Thingy, yeah, yeah, Bob Balaban, yeah. But what but makes you felt... think? What makes you think she wrote it? Because she loves stories. She loves books, and I felt like she would turn their story into a book. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So why is she not narrating it? Uh, why she got him to narrate it? The narrator. I don't, Balaban. I don't know. There's a scene on the beach. Oh, yeah. Where they're dancing and they're yeah. in their underwear. Yeah. And then he places his hand on her chest. Yeah. And she goes, they'll get bigger. And then they kiss. Uh-huh. It's a very sweet moment. Yeah. But if you step back just a moment, <laughs> what you have there is a film crew of adults telling kids to be sexual. Yeah. And I find that a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I found it a little bit uncomfortable at the end of Stranger Things season two when they did that. And then all when, that stuff came out where she said that she was forced to do Yeah, the like well. you are you are sexual not only sexualizing kids in your mm. own mind, you are then paying actors and even though they're actors mm. you are paying kids to act out a sexual and it's not necessarily a fantasy that you as the creator are getting off on mm. but you are creating a, a, an environment a situation where one underage kid has to 
either has to pretend to sexually engage with another underage kid. Mm. So where does the line get drawn between what is okay and acceptable and what is not? Is it intention? Is it, I mean, everyone kissed each other when they were 12, 13 years old. But was an adult telling them to do it? No, I know. Was an adult telling you to put your hand on the chest of an underage girl? They would have... I know, but there would have been discussions about that. They wouldn't have just had to do it. It would have been, no, do you feel comfortable oh, doing it? I get this? that. Yeah. But the, the situation is still, you have a group of adults telling the kids what to do. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that, really. But the thing that, it, that made it weirder is that they were kind of talking like grown-ups as well. In, in like, but, but in a way that kids maybe think grown-ups talk. So it didn't feel like authentic kid speak, but it didn't feel like authentic grown up speak. It was this kind of like they were pretending to be older than they were situation. Is that a Wes Anderson trope? I think that he basically took this is his first film. Like he mostly made film makes films about weird grown ups. And this is his first film that was about weird kids who were raised by weird grown ups. And it's almost like he's making some kind of self reflective comment about when my other characters when, you know, when the films end, they maybe have kids who then pass, they pass their weirdness onto. Yeah. Um, so he didn't write them as kids, essentially. He kind of wrote them as grown-ups, but like weird grown-ups. Yeah. So... It was like, like I said, like they're being puppeteered by their yeah, future selves. Yeah, exactly. But even with that in mind, I still don't think it's appropriate to have yeah. a scene where two underage kids are forced, but not forced, but they are expected as actors yeah. to engage either you know in, in a way that is classed as sexual yeah a sexual right a sexual awakening can happen in completely different ways you yeah. don't have to have the kids have sex there's a scene in it in the book where as a way of connecting all of them the girl character as kids she blows all the other kids oh yeah they cut that from the from the film yeah and had them cut their hands and do the blood bond thing that you often see in 80s films. There are different ways to represent the the passing of childhood into adulthood. Mm. You don't have to always go for the blowjob or mm. the kiss on the beach. I don't think it's appropriate to, to do that anymore. And especially in the current Hollywood climate where, you yeah. know, shit has come out and, and, and people are more... People are more open to talking about this kind of crap. I wouldn't be surprised if soon the paedophile nature of behavior starts to come out. We've had it in this country with, mm. um, you know, Utree and um, Jimmy Savile. I don't know if it's appropriate to have kids do that in films anymore. Yeah. And yeah, I think because there's a responsibility, isn't there, to not put them in a position where their their image can be removed from the context of you know that but kind it, of thing but it's more than that like those kids they won't they won't necessarily know exactly what they're doing and if, and if they don't have the the bargaining power to say no mm. then they have no choice but to do something that could be potentially damaging and yes it's only a, a, a kiss on the lips or placing the hand on the chest but you know i can't speak for the actress but possibly maybe she wouldn't have wanted that it's just food for thought. It's just food yeah. for what is appropriate in the movie. What you know, the greatest the greatest thing about artistic 
endeavours is limitations. Mm. If you have a small budget, then you have to really think creatively. How do we then make this budget look like we had double budget so we can make a really cool film? Mm. Or, you know, we can't shoot on that day, so we're going to have to do everything on this day. So let's be more economic and let's, let's make a really cool thing. If you can't and you shouldn't put kids into a position where they are acting sexually mm. ahead of their time, how else do you present the emotion that you want to 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 show mm. or you find actors who look way way younger mm. have you seen um the end of the fucking world yes love it so those actors are in their mid-20s but they yeah. look about 10 years younger yeah. so the things they were doing in that film don't feel uncomfortable yeah you know they're those characters are 17 years old yeah but the actors are about 25 23 25 yeah she's been playing a teenager for the last 15 years i think <laughs> when i was watching i was like where the fuck have i seen this so i had to research she was in the lobster which i had watched uh, really? like a week ago again i love that film she always plays like this really sour miserable old cow doesn't yeah she? that's just kind of her thing <laughs> and she's and brilliant she at it yeah really cynical that's another one of those those shows that like Wes Anderson and Submarine is so ironic and so deadpan and mm. emotionally detached. Mm -hmm. It's such a, you know, it's wonderful to watch, but there's something about the end of the fucking world that I found more interesting to watch mm. than, and, and more pleasing in, in the afterthought. So when you reflect back on something and you go, yeah, I, I, I really connected with that. Mm. I have more of an affiliation to watch the end of the fucking world than I do to go back and watch this film. Well, it's more it's more stuff that you like, like blood and killing people and running around like Nicolas Cage and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, there's no grit in Wes Anderson. There's slight grit in the sense that everything looks like it's been shot 16mm and is. everything's got... <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure it's 35, but it's pushed this really... 16. It's 16, yeah. okay. Because mostly, as far as I know, it's, it's 35 and he pushes it in, in development so you get that really mm. cool grain. Um but the palette in this film I actually really liked. The greens and the yellows and the browns and like yeah. the steely cold greys and the blues. Mm -hmm. Like especially the blues when they were on the roof and it was just blue. Yeah. It wasn't like James Cameron nighttime blue. It was blue. <laughs> yeah. Like all the blue. Yeah. Every fucking blue. It was brilliant. Yeah. It's a good looking movie. Yeah. It's just it's curious. It's it's like like being on a roller coaster. It's great. When you're in in there, if you like mm -hmm. roller coasters, I don't. I'm sure it's getting. I hate them. But if, it's great for those two minutes. But I never feel I want to go back and watch a Wes Anderson. I will rewatch this one again. I really liked it. It's it's a weird one though because it's like Fantastic Mr. Fox felt like a stop motion version of a Wes Anderson film, and then this came after that, and it feels like a live action version of Fantastic Mr. Fox's kind of version of a live action. It's really weird. Like he's kind of it's become so entrenched this style now. And that, that very dry delivery. Yeah. That this actually feels closer to Fantastic Mr. Fox than it does to anything else he's done, I think. Has his style always been like this? As far as I know. Because his Bottle Rocket's one of his. I haven't seen that. That's, isn't that his first one? Is that the same kind of style? Have you seen it? I don't know. No, I haven't seen that. I don't. I genuinely don't know. I think, yeah, it'd be interesting to go back to his earlier stuff and see just how much see, he's changed and how yeah, much it was. Yeah, see if there's any development. Or did he latch onto something really quick and he just does mm. it really, really well? Yeah. I wish... I Rushmore I've seen bits of, but I just can't remember if it was... Isn't it like a really hilarious dinner scene in Rushmore? I haven't seen it. It's really uncomfortable. He's the sort of filmmaker that I can't imagine him doing anything other than his 
films. Mm. It's not like Kathleen Kennedy's thinking, hmm, who could do the Yoda movie? Because <laughs> I can't imagine... I'd that... love to see Wes Anderson do the Yoda movie. That'd be I brilliant. can't imagine a, a deadpan, emotionally bereft Yoda movie. Oh, I can. Just Yoda, <laughs> like... centre frame, pan left, there's like a rock, pan back, there's Yoda levitating it. So that... <laughs> Brilliant. So that was Moonrise Kingdom, directed by Wes Anderson. What did you think? Let us know on Twitter at TornStubsPod. And we want to grow this thing, so what do people have to do, Josh? <laughs> I think, because they give us a five-star rating. They can do. Okay. If, yeah. they li- if you like it, then maybe consider giving us a five-star rating. Or share it. Like and share, yeah. all that. We're off camping. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>